one thing we do need to do better um, within running culture in general, and actually like American culture, is making it normalized, like making not drinking normalized, right? Like that should be absolutely fine. Um, and if somebody, you know, orders a water or a Coke or whatever, um, like you don't need to turn to your friend and be like, is something wrong? Hello, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Sweat. I'm Alex, and today we're going to talk about it's an interesting topic. It's a little bit different, but this was kind of, this conversation was sparked by a recent story by AC Shilton in Runner's World called Does Running Have a Drinking Problem? And I wanted to have this conversation, especially as a community of brand that does include alcoholic beverages within its events and within our marketing. I think it's very important that we join this conversation and not just turn a blind eye to it. One of the biggest takeaways that I hope that you have at the end of this episode is that this is not about judging others. We're not talking about cutting out alcohol from your lives or that drinking is bad at all. This is a story and a conversation that looks at the facts. It looks at studies and information provided by experts and presents them in a way where we can each make the choices for ourselves. One thing that we didn't touch on too much in this episode that we kind of chatted off about offline afterwards was just individual risk tolerance and this is definitely something I want to touch on in an episode down the road um, but just how all of us kind of have our own personal risk tolerances in life and that the we're all allowed to make the own choices for our life we're allowed to change our mind about things and that you can change your mind, that you can decide if you don't want to drink anymore, that you don't want to drink, or if you want to cut back, that's up to you. And that if you don't want to change your habits and your lifestyle, like you don't have to. No one is telling you to do anything differently with your life. And that's really, I think, one of the things about this conversation and about the story that I think is really important from a running and within the running industry is how we're kind of having all these things that we're focusing on with those health benefits and running provides so much health wellness for us physically and mentally that we're really here having this conversation of another something else that is connected to our love of the sport and this is a really good, really interesting conversation. And I had a great time chatting with AC about it. And personally, just you'll hear a little bit more about my reasons why I've cut back on drinking in this interview. But I think everyone, you know, this is an interview where, you know, there's definitely people that are not interested in hearing it. But that is totally okay, but I think the biggest thing is that for you to take the information that's here, listen to it, and do what you want with it. I'm not here to change anyone's mind. I love a glass of champagne. I love a cocktail just as much as many of you do probably as well, but I think it's more about taking that time and that perspective of taking a step back. 
So this is not about judging anyone. Um, but one more thing, alcoholism is a real disease. And if you do need support or resources, there is help that is available. So know that wherever you are in your journey, that we are here as a community, but also there are other people who want to help you be your best. And there's a really great Dolly Parton quote that I can't wait to share with you all that we talk about in this interview. And let's get into it. My name is AC Shulton. I'm a freelance journalist. I mostly cover um, health and fitness, although I also do some investigative work. Um, and I also work as a TV producer on um, uh, true crime shows. So I kind of do a lot of things, but my real passion is uh, doing health and fitness writing, especially kind of in the endurance sports space. And we were kind of chatting before about how our paths have crossed. And this is a good segue even into the topic that we're going to talk about today. How both of us have also come from the booze industry. We, You've been a writer in it. I've been a publicist in the alcohol industry. And today we're talking about, does running have a drinking problem? And this was kind of, this conversation was sparked from a recent story you wrote for Runner's World, kind of what sparked your interest in covering this topic? Yeah, so I think that, you know, for a very long time, alcohol was a pretty big part of my life. So, you know, I worked as a columnist for Outside Magazine for seven years where I covered booze. That was my beat. And so I was always writing about the best new whiskey, the best flask to like put in your bag, like how to make cocktails on the trail. Like that, that was like how I made money uh, was, you know, writing about booze. Um, and so, you know, and in my house, there was always alcohol around. Um, and, uh, you know, I think my then husband and I, like, we were really, really healthy people. And that like, you know, I sometimes tell this story that is like, we, we traveled to Ironman together to do an Ironman. Um, and we like drove like 22 hours and we brought our juicer. Like we were those really obnoxiously healthy people that like drive to an Ironman with a juicer so they can like get their nutrients while they do their like big event. Um, but we also were drinking quite a bit. Right. And so my husband um, uh, ended up getting sober at one point and that kind of made me start thinking a little bit more critically about alcohol and watching somebody go through the process um, of sobriety um, and his struggle with that. And it made me kind of take a step back and like, look at what I was writing and look at what I was producing and like, you know, think, is this, is this the right thing for me to be doing? Um, and it was a big reason I actually stepped back from my outside magazine contract um, is that, you know, I just felt like this was not something that I wanted to participate in anymore. Um, and then I started kind of having these conversations with other friends who were, you know, thinking about their own relationships with alcohol um, and reading more and more research kind of about the health effects of alcohol um, and it just seemed like it was time to kind of put all this together, this like, you know, this dichotomy of like these like, you know, super fit athletes traveling with their deucer, but also, you know, drinking quite a bit um, and like, you know, call that out a little bit and, and, and tease those pieces apart. I can relate to so many aspects of what you just said, because I think from, you know, a as brunch running, 
we are a social running community and there's mimosas, there's Bloody Marys, there's beer. Like even in some of the early marketing we were doing, it was like retox to de- or detox to retox. And like, how does that really, like, how many times, like when you're like in your twenties, you're saying this, like, all right, I'm going to go out hard on Saturday night, get up really early, run a 5k, 10k or a half marathon or like train for a marathon. But yet you're out till like the bars are closing the night before getting up and doing it. It's like this weird, you know, I remember even yeah. training through my first marathon during, um, at that time I was still owned a PR my PR agency and like training through Great American Beer Festival weekend and week of like working being there drinking like every day but yet it's like I have to go run 15 miles in the morning so maybe I'll duck out a little bit earlier but then run those 15 miles and then go right back into drinking and (laughs) which now looking back at it I'm like oh my god how did I do that what like how did I even survive that? And how did like, that was like, I don't know, there's so many questions of, and then once you start to realize, I think you do start cutting out drinking and then you also start to realize how your body's feeling, that changes too. Um, For sure. But I really thought that like this conversation that we're having today is very important and that as a company and a brand like Brunch Running that we needed to have this conversation instead of just turning almost like a blind eye to the convert to all this because I mean there's even times where there's a race I've been talking about for years where I'm like wouldn't it be cool to run a one mile run and have mimosa so we can call it the mimosa mile and similar to like the (laughs) beer mile versus we're not drinking in the middle of it but you know I think sporting events do have that culture of alcohol at the finish line and kind of what that kind of brings and even what you kind of just touched on with bringing your juicer for Ironmans you know looking overall at running culture and on the outside it looks like we're bringing everyone's bringing a juicer everyone's tracking their heart rate everyone's like looking at every single macro micro all the things but yet drinking is so enmeshed into everything that we're doing so as you were doing your research for your article, any thoughts on why drinking is so integrated into the running culture? Yes, this is really interesting. So there's like, okay, so so first of all, there's like not a ton of research about like middle-aged, middle-back runners and their drinking habits. Like, I mean, just like nobody's doing it because it's just like not that interesting, I guess. I don't know. It would be interesting to me. Um, but so I kind of ended up um, uh, mostly like, talking to folks who are studying um, alcohol use among collegiate athletes. And there's a lot of interesting research here. Um, And so like this starts young, really. Um, And what's really interesting is that collegiate athletes drink at a higher rate than non-athletes in college, which is really interesting because you think that like, you know, so many of these kids are performing at the very highest level and have pro ambitions and like, you know, like, that's like where you're gonna either go pro or you're not, um, and you're, maybe you're on a scholarship. But heavy drinking is a really big part of inner of like uh, intercollegiate athlete, athletics, right? So um, I thought that was really interesting, and I thought it was a little bit indicative of like what ends up happening. Like you know, I think a lot of us maybe did a sport in college and like weren't good enough to go pro, and like and then returned to like recreational running. Um, 
when, you know, there are no more like lacrosse games for adults or whatever, you know? And so I think that like, that is maybe one reason that like, you know, we associate it with like our memories of, you know, being part of a team being you know social around sports um and so i think there's definitely like a throwback to intercollegiate athletics i think the other part of it is that you know um endurance athletes tend to be pretty intense people right and so like we just tend to like do something to the max i mean you don't like i feel like you never meet somebody who's like i'm gonna go run a 50 miler but i'm just kind of like you know, not that intense, like the kind of person who runs a 50 miler is an intense person. Um, and I will own that as myself, right? I'm an intense person. Um, and so I think that like, we tend to carry that intensity into other parts of our lives. Um, and a really good example of that is like, you know, I, um, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but like a huge amount of Ironman athletes are also like CEOs and, you know, earn six figures, right? So Ironman loves to like send those statistics out about how successful those folks are. But that also translates to like running. And so, you know, Corey Wolterine, who I interviewed for this story, the pro uh, ultra runner, um, I mean, you know, he just kind of talked about how he had this big go big or go home mentality if he was running or if he was drinking, right? Um, and so I think that's a piece of it. And then I think the last piece of it is that like, often a lot of us are using running, well, actually this isn't the last piece of it, I've got two more. So a, 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 one thing is that like a lot of us are using exercise as a coping mechanism, right? And it's a really good coping mechanism actually, like don't stop, like it's, it's a good coping mechanism. Alcohol is also a coping mechanism. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the folks that I talked to about alcohol use disorders kind of said, like, look, if you're drinking a lot, you need to spend some time sitting and thinking about why and like what that alcohol is, you know, is doing for you, what feelings it's numbing. And I think a lot of us also use running or, you know, in dream, extreme endurance sports as a way to kind of not deal with feelings or, or process feelings. Um, so I think there's some kind of parallels there. And then um, lastly, I will say that like a lot of endurance athletes or outdoors folks um, who like to be active um, are also sensation seekers, right? So years ago, I this, did this story for Outside um, about how um, how there's like a there's a there's a relationship between loving lo loving spicy foods and loving adrenaline sports um and it just comes down to this this quality that sensation seeking um and i think alcohol fa falls into that as well as you know you want to do that marathon to have that that feeling to like check that thing off your bucket list that sensation seeking as well so i think all of those things kind of come together um to like you know make just alcohol really a part of athletic culture there is so much there that I'm like, oh my God, yes, that is so true. And like, just the fact that like people, these are very determined, ambitious, driven people and that everything that they're doing, like you said, it's go big or go home. Like, what's the point if I'm not going all in, right? And showing up at 110 or 200%. And I think you, you know, even I think it was Corey in the article that mentioned that he was also, you know, alcohol was also becoming part of the, like, keeping the pain at bay and for pain management during races and post-workouts and I think that you know because right like you want to numb the pain because you want to keep 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 going and that kind of like almost like that quit mentality is not there for these athletes and it kind of probably comes and crosses the line into everyday life and where you are drinking up sometimes you don't know where to stop 
Yeah. So the pain thing was so interesting to me um, in that, you know, he mentioned that like that was what he went to. He doesn't take any sort of, you know, non-steroidal inflammatory, anti-inflammatories. Like he doesn't do them, um, but he will drink alcohol to numb pain. And um, that was so interesting because one of the researchers that I talked to about intercollegiate athletics um, and uh, their use of alcohol said like, that is ubiquitous across, you know, these kids, they're using alcohol to numb pain, even though there is zero research that it works. It doesn't work, guys. Um, and what's really interesting is that, like, we actually have some research that cannabis works, but even student athletes, which, like, you think would, like, be more interested in using cannabis are using alcohol instead of cannabis to numb pain, uh, which doesn't make a lick of sense because it just like, there's no research that alcohol is actually really a pain number number. Um, so, and, and like, it has like no long-term benefits for pain. So just don't, don't use alcohol for pain. Try it. I can't. <laughs> so. And, that, and that, that's a whole nother conversation that we can go down. <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. But I, it just like blew my mind. I thought like, you know, like 19, 20 year olds would be like, oh, no, I just smoke some weed and then I feel better. But instead, you know, they are they are using alcohol, too, uh, which is really surprising. to me. Yeah, I mean, it's I guess I never thought of it, but also just like knowing like my own story through sports and stuff like that of being like, at time of like, you know, even after like a bad training day on the weekends when you're in like high school or college and you're just like, oh, that sucked. Like what's going to make me feel better? Is it almost like you're looking for not just even that physical pain, but also just that emotional pain that sometimes yeah. you're in and that sometimes it, it makes you feel better in the moment because you're a little bit more, you know, relaxed and you're like, whatever. But ultimately, you know, alcohol destroys lives. Alcoholism is a real disease. So kind of how does that alcohol's relationship to our health, running performance and mental well-being is really all connected. Absolutely. And exactly that, like what you just said about like, you know, I had a bad workout or like I'm struggling with this injury that won't seem to get better. I'm like going to go out and have a couple of beers and I will feel totally funny and great and dance with my friends and it'll be better. Like that comes back to that piece of like, you know, using alcohol or using um, as as you know some sort of distraction from what's really going on in your life right um, and i think that culturally is so prevalent and not enough of us are thinking about that and like taking a beat to say like wait what is the purpose of this beer that i'm having or this wine and this is something that like i have really worked on this past year as i'm like going through a divorce and have a lot of kind of hard things going on in my life is like when i want a glass of wine because i do drink i should, should be clear i still do drink I drink very little, but I do drink, but I will almost always ask myself, like, what is the feeling that I am trying to make go away right now? And usually it's anxiety about something that's happening, you know, for me, um, it's almost always that I feel anxious about something. And so I'm reaching for a glass of wine. Right. So, yeah, no, um, I definitely feel that. Cause like I still, I drink very little nowadays and it usually it's like at a celebration or like a big party or, you know, when I'm like, know that there's not also a lot going on the next day, or if I'm on vacation and I'm having a good time. But so one thing I want to talk about that I know your story mentioned is oftentimes we attribute like health benefits to alcohol, like it's good for heart, it helps you sleep, it eases pain, it's a good recovery drink. We both said like, we've talked about how like we've written stories about beer is a recovery beverage for running, which yeah. it's not really, but kind of as you were expressing these 
going down that angle, what was it that you were finding that where these studies were even coming from? Yeah, this is this is uh, this is a funny story, actually, because like the editor that assigned me this piece is an editor that like 10 years ago assigned me a piece on why beer is a great recovery drink. Um, and it just like it's funny because like he and I have had this longstanding relationship working together. Um, and it, it's just funny to see how the tides, <laughs> you know, like it just um, yeah, I remember working on that story 10 years ago and being like, look at these studies I found. Um, I mean, so I think like the like important thing to point out here is that like you know the alcohol industry you know does have some deep pockets and it is relative like you can set up studies that show what you want them to show right um i am not saying all you know you, you need to be like dubious of all studies or anything like that what I am saying is that like, okay, so um, red wine was kind of the thing that was shown to like, you know, be heart healthy, right? Um, and that's because of this compound called resveratrol. And like, you know, it's, it's, it is good for us. It is an antioxidant. However, you can get that antioxidant from grape juice and the amount of wine you would need to drink to get that antioxidant in any meaningful level um, is really, really high. Right. And so it's one of those things where like, yeah, technically wine contains this antioxidant that is good for you. However, in application, right, it doesn't hold up. Um, and so the other thing is that like, often there are confounding variables that are going on that the study may not mention. Right. And so I thought this was really interesting. Um, that like, you know, there are all these studies that are coming out about all cause mortality and like looking at big numbers, population numbers, and um, if if you look at some of these studies, there will be what looks like a J-shaped curve. Um, and the idea here is that like for if you're looking over time, like it looks like, the, you know, you know, death starts kind of here and then it dips down um, and then it goes back up again. And so it would like from that J shape, you would say, okay, well, you know, if you're drinking a lot when you're young, th that raises all cause mortality, think car crashes, things like that, but then it dips and then it goes back up as you get older. So for like these, like, you know, th th these people at the bottom of the J, like, who are they? And they're like, you know, 20 to 30 year olds or, you know, um, and so like, there's this, I think for a long time, it was like, oh, they should be drinking more. But then I talked to an epidemiologist and they were like, okay, well, there's actually a confounding variable here, which is uh, that those folks that are not drinking because they're in their 20s and 30s, often that is because they have some sort of serious health condition and their doctors have told them not to drink. Um, and so the, the reason that like they are sticking out is because there's a confounding variable there. Um, and so, you know, there really just is not any research that shows that alcohol is going to like stop you from having a heart attack or is heart healthy or, you know, is going to like improve your longevity. It just doesn't exist. Um, and in fact, I mean, it's kind of the opposite is happening and kind of the more and more that, that researchers are looking at long-term alcohol use and especially on a population wide scale, um, the more we're seeing that, you know, it is harmful. And so right now the world health organization says, that there is no amount of alcohol that can be considered safe. That's different than um, what the uh, like what U.S. health organizations have said. There are guidelines for how much uh, men and women can drink, but uh, and we can talk about the differences in that. And but it gets kind of into the weeds. Um, but at any rate, the World Health Organization says you know no amount of alcohol is safe, and that I think is like 
useful at least to kind of have in the back of your mind. Um, they're not saying all alcohol is harmful. That's a different statement than no alcohol is safe. Um, and that basically means like, you know, there there's no benefit to this and we don't really know long-term, you know, what exactly, you know, your consequences may be. And again, we can talk about this because it's very complicated. Um, it depends on genetic factors and risk, other risk factors in your life. Um, but you should keep in the back of your brain that like, you know, the World Health Organization says no amount is safe. So, And I think like a few questions come out of this on my end of, you know, is this a U.S. In, running problem? Like within the U.S. is this a problem? Or is this across the world uh -huh. that like athletes are all kind of like imbibing in the same way? Uh, that is a great question. And I don't know that I have a good answer for you. Um, I will say a couple of things. Um, I mean, I do think that um, it probably depends on where you are in the world, right? Because there are, you know, uh, majority Muslim countries where not a lot of alcohol is consumed at all, right? So, I mean, um, I think it really depends. Um, but I will say... Um, if you visit Germany, you will find more and more really great non-alcoholic drinks in bars. Um, and they're just like head and shoulders ahead of us, which is funny because like I think of Germany as being like intense alcohol culture place, but it's changing. So I don't, I can't say where the U.S. is compared to everybody else, um, but I do think there are conversations starting to happen in other places as well. And I don't think we're totally unique in that alcohol culture and running culture are, you know, intertwined. Yeah. And then, you know, I think a few things that you also, second part of that is, you know, I think within running and within nutrition, all stuff, we oftentimes seen on a promotional side, like a one size fits all, but there's so much like every human body is different. So something that works for one person, you cannot guarantee is going to work for someone else. And that sometimes that mentality of, well, this person did this and this person can drink, but then someone else has like has a drink and it affects them completely different. And may, like part of that is also like, you know, across board saying, oh, everyone, oftentimes in so many things, we're all kind of grouped together versus looking at everyone as an individual. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I've, I'm like, I know we're kind of starting to go in those weeds, but I'm like, I feel like that's where my mind starts to go. Like there's so much where, a, alcohol does affect everyone differently. And I think this also then kind of can go into the next part of sleep and booze and how for some people it might help them sleep, but other people, you know, they're going to be up all night or they're going to be waking up inconsistently. And you spoke with um, Lisa Slade and how she started tracking her sleep with Whoop and how kind of like she realized that the booze was impacting her recovery and kind of what insights did her story like kind of highlight for you? Yeah, this was actually a really um, interesting piece of this for me because, um, and, and it's funny, I was um, talking to a statistician a couple of days ago for a totally different story, uh, but somehow we got into this and she was like, you know, I got an aura ring and I stopped drinking. And I was like, I just wrote a story about this. <laughs> it's like, um, and apparently like, this is really, really common for people who get whoop or, or uh, rings, like they like a month in, they look at like their drinking and they're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is really, really affecting way beyond what I had thought. And so um, I thought this was interesting because in college, I had this boyfriend in college um, and he literally 
could not go to bed. He, he, or at least he felt he could not go to bed unless he had had a beer. He just couldn't do it. And so I asked Dr. Chris Winter, who is one of the um, uh, experts in my story. He's a sleep specialist. He's written a couple of books on sleep. Really great interview. Really interesting guy. And um, I asked him about this because dear old Dan, my old boyfriend, like clearly needed a beer to sleep. Um, And he was like, well, here's what's happening. Um, So alcohol is a sedative and that like it does, you know, relax you. But the problem is it relaxes you too much. And so like you actually like it, it relaxes your airways and like you can't breathe as well. And so you are opening uh, or I'm sorry. So so you are basically not able to sleep as well because you you're like tongue and you're breathing and your airways are just like too relaxed. Um, and so you're waking yourself up to try and get oxygen throughout the night. Um, and so you're going to feel like you fall asleep well, but the actual quality of sleep you're getting is significantly lowered by even a small amount of alcohol. Um, and so that's why, like, if you want to drink, um, you should do it as far away from going to bed as possible, which of course is the opposite of what most of us are doing. Right. Um, so, but if you can have a couple of hours between when your last drink is and when you go to bed, um, otherwise it, you're going to feel like you nod off really fast, which feels great. Right. And like Dr. Winter talked a lot about, like for people with insomnia, like this feels great um, because you're falling asleep quickly, but you're not actually sleeping well. And that's just, like what you truly need for recovery. So. And this kind of like, just as we were talking, remind me of a conversation that we were having at our brunch run on Sunday at our run club, where it was, if I have a drink now, I'm going to get tired halfway through the day or like in an hour from now, which kind of makes sense of what you're saying, that it does really relax you, uh, even whether it's at like 11 a.m. or 11 p.m., but just that difference that if you're having a drink earlier, it might relax you, but it's not going to affect your sleep as much. Yeah, actually, like the brunch idea is like a good one, right? Like if you want to yeah. drink, drink early in the day. So like I am 100% behind what you guys are doing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think it's also like you're also saying that the non-alcohol, we have this growing beverage industry now that is focusing also on non-alcoholic beverages and that that is becoming a thing. And we're seeing it on menus with non-alcoholic beers and wines and spirits and all these things. So there is kind of this balance where if it you're like, well, I like the taste of whiskey, but there's now we're starting to even see options. And I think even that we're a having this conversation that dry January is a thing that people are sometimes taking breaks from alcohol. And I know one thing you noted in your story was none of the experts you interviewed said to stop drinking. Do you know why, or do you have a thought on why none of them said no? Yes. None of them thought, yeah, absolutely. Um, none of them thought that that was realistic advice to give people. Um, and so like, think a little bit like, like, like the, the context for me for this is like thinking about kind of public health messaging. And if you think about it in the context of like the pandemic, like people don't really love being told things to like what to do. And especially like when those things are pretty harsh. Right. Um, and so um, there's actually an, oh no, I'm blanking on the name of the term, but there's like actually a psychological term for this. Like when you try to, 
and tell somebody to like not do something, um, they focus more on like the freedom that they are losing versus actually like focusing on the effect of like, you know, the, the like harmful thing that they are doing. Um, and like, it's like drives them to do it more. This is like why reverse psychology often works on like really stubborn people. Um, and so, so everybody I talked to was like, look, if you like drinking, if it brings something to your life, you know, it is okay to continue drinking because, you know, telling everybody to to just quit is going to backfire and like nobody's going to, to, to even try to step back. That's just like not realistic for a lot of folks. If you want to cut back a little bit, that is great. Um, and if you like want to think a little bit about your relationship to alcohol, that is also great. Um, so, I mean, alcohol is just like, it's part of our culture. It's how, you know, we connect with other people. It's how a lot of us white folks dance. I mean, like it has a place and it brings joy and life is for, you know, joy, right? Um, so, you know, I I think that it's, it's okay to drink. And I, as I said, I do drink. Um, but you really need to know your own personal risk factors and you need to take those into account. So I think this goes back to this whole, like everybody's an individual, right? Um, and so um, w drinking is not the new smoking. Um, smoking has a really linear relationship to lung cancer, right? It's very easy to prove those that that causal relationship. It's much more complicated to prove causal relationships between alcohol and cancers. Now we do have them for certain cancers. Um, so um, uh, head and neck cancers, and um, it's also a risk factor for for breast cancer. So I lost somebody very close to me in my life um, due to breast cancer. And I know I'm, I'm at a slightly higher risk due to a couple of other factors in my life. And that's one reason I have cut way, way back on my own alcohol uh, consumption. But it's really, I mean, it's really hard to say, you know, alcohol caused this person's cancer like it's just there's so many other environmental factors there's so many other genetic factors um that it's really really hard to make those distinctions and therefore we know alcohol is a carcinogen and that basically means that like the way our bodies break alcohol down to to, to rid our bodies of it does create create these molecules that do damage to our dna it is a known carcinogen but it not like the relationship between it and certain types of cancer or all cancers is not linear. Um, and it really depends on your own risk factors. So this is why I think it's really important to think about your own personal risks and like what, you know, what alcohol brings into your life. Um, and so for me, the like mental math that I did is that like, I will drink alcohol if I am at a nice restaurant having a nice meal, I will have a nice glass of wine. If I am at a celebration, um, you know, I'm happy to have a glass of champagne because I love champagne. All other applications, I pretty much go for seltzer water or something else at the moment. Um, and that just to me, you know, that's a trade-off I'm willing to make. I enjoy alcohol in social situations but I don't enjoy it enough to like feel like it's worth the risks to, given my like personal breast cancer factors. I can 100% relate to that. Um, I get very bad migraines and one of my big tr triggers is overheating. And I know when I drink, oh. I tend to, my body temperature tend to, tends to rise. So for me, like cutting out alcohol, especially in the summer months and knowing that like it's going to make me, I tend to get even more heated. Um, that cutting out when it's like yeah. in those summer months, like I am able to limit how many migraines I get. And then that limit, like 
provides me with the opportunity to do more of the things that I like to do where in the winter months when it's cold especially in Colorado and it's like 11 degrees like having a Bailey's and coffee or like a cocktail at a holiday party yeah. or champagne like I'm not going to feel as bad because it's not as hot out <laughs> which yeah. you know looking at those risk factors and each of us looking at things individually like it makes sense where you're like all right this is how it's going to impact me personally and I think sometimes a lot oftentimes we don't you know it's maybe sometimes it is in those social settings where trying to get to that point because it probably also takes confidence to say hey I'm not going to have a drink today and developing that confidence in yourself totally that's like the one thing I really wanted to talk about today is that like one thing we do need to do better um within running culture in general and actually like American culture is making it normalized like making not drinking normalized right like that should be absolutely fine um and if somebody you know orders a water or a coke or whatever um like you don't need to turn to your friend and be like is something wrong uh right like like it should just be normal to to, to not order a beer and and Corey talked about this um i i can't remember if we into the final article but we had a long conversation about like you know it took several times of him going out and saying no i'm not drinking for his friends to be like are you sick are you okay like what's going on or like you know people always like assume like i'm in that like you know age where i would be pregnant people like assume maybe she's pregnant you know like it's like no i'm just not drinking guys um and you don't need to ask about it you like don't need to like check in like i mean you can check in with me because that's great um i love friends who check in on me but like it doesn't need to be a big deal right um and certainly i think we also like need to like normalize it not being okay to pressure anybody to drink ever right um and so those and and i think like that is one thing that like i would really like to see change about alcohol cult uh, culture and running as it does feel like sometimes there is pressure to be you know to do the beer mile or to you know go to the brewery after the run or whatever and like we all need to work together to make these spaces inclusive and welcoming to people whether they drink or not because yeah it's really finding that balance of how we can be social and how we can celebrate without alcohol or and taking it alcohol kind of away as that center reason of why we're all gathering but this feels like a really perfect time to do that like after the pandemic and everybody mm -hmm. being so like socially isolated, I feel like, I feel like we can all just celebrate being together, right? Like, you know, like that, that is an option and it's a great option because I love my running friends um, and I just love being with them and I do not need the excuse of getting a beer together. I am so happy to run with them and then, you know, give them shit about whatever is going on, um, you know, that they did or didn't do or whatever. Like, I'm happy to do that and I don't need any beer to do it. I just need, I just need their time, right? It's like one of those things where we making it an excuse to get together. We don't need. It's just let's. It's just yeah. that. Hey, we want to spend time together. Let's find a way to do this and go for a run and totally. have fun and spend that quality time together. And whether it's getting a meal and or just standing in a parking lot and talking. <laughs> I do a lot of that. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, like, so yeah, it's. It's it's interesting. Our local group run starts and ends at a brewery, and I um I often duck out before the brewery part because I like I still am not totally comfortable walking in and you know ordering you know a water or whatever. Like it, it, you know it's just one of those things where like even me after like writing this story and like spending a lot of time talking about like how great it is to not drink, like it is 
it is still like that is an awkward piece for me sometimes and I'm I'm still working on it too so if you are out there and you're like feeling a little bit weird about it like I hear you man I hear you and let's let's just you know I don't know get over it together because it, it's hard it is and I yeah I don't I think it takes that consistency. It's like, you know, any muscle essentially that you're working, you start small and you, it builds up over time. It's probably, you know, I'm almost going to start using a marathon training example <laughs> where it's like small steps to get there and that like that eventually get you to the place that you want to be in that destination and, you know, making it okay for yourself and feeling comfortable in that situation. Absolutely. Um, one thing that, you know, Corey said, there was that like, one great thing that's come out of it is he has connected with a lot of other sober runners, right? Um, and so I think, you know, you will find other people, they are out there. Um, and that can often lead to like nice connections, because you have something in common um, immediately right off the bat besides running. Um, so, you know, um, keep doing it, your people are out there. And, uh, and also, I think, the more, you know, more of us who are stepping back, the more normalized it's going to become that like, yeah, a lot of us, you know, go to the bar afterwards, but are ordering chronic or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's something we have as, um, at all of our events, we have a partnership with Groovy and they make non-alcoholic wines and beers. And at all of our events, like if you want to have the mimosa, the mimosa is there. If you don't want to have the mimosa, sometimes we have kombucha. Sometimes groove, we have we always have groovy. There's tons of options out there, and you know sometimes it's even like I just want the Virgin Bloody Mary. Just give me the the really good mix Pardon. and call. It's a good thing, but I think yeah, having the conversation and just as an industry and within running, also you know, I think you did a great job of bringing awareness to a topic that a lot of people don't want to have this conversation and say, Hey, maybe this is something that we should look at because how does it all correlate to our health when we're supposed to be this health focused industry? And how do we, how do we always do better? Right. That's what we're talking about before is, you know, how do you, you continuously, when you know, bet what was the quote you said about Dolly Parton's quote? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, yeah, the, the, it's the Dolly Parton quote when, when you know better, you do better. Right. Um, and I mean, I can't say I've always done that, but like, you know, I am trying to like, it, you know, when I learned something that like, maybe I wrote a story and I got it wrong 10 years ago, um, I'm trying to set the record straight and say like, okay, I got that wrong. Let, let me do better here. So yeah, like we, talk, we talked a little bit about like a lot of the stuff that I wrote 10 years ago really promoted alcohol culture. And yeah, um, now I know that, that that's harmful. It was harmful to my then husband, right? And I, now I want to do better. And I'm not saying that, you know, you need to stop drinking right now, but I am saying you need to like, you know, spend a little bit of time thinking about your relationship to alcohol, why you're drinking. I mean, even in social settings, like, you know, I often find that I am drinking because I feel nervous in social settings, right? Like I'm a little, a little bit introverted and it's like just easier for me to have a drink in my hand, right? So spend a little bit of time unpacking that for yourself, whatever it is that, you know, next time you want to drink, take like two seconds to be like, what, why do I want to drink? I mean, maybe it's because it tastes good because it does taste good sometimes. Um, but it also could be that you feel anxious, you feel nervous, you feel stressed, maybe you feel depressed. Um, any of those things at the very least you owe it to yourself to like have that moment of reflection and like think actually about what this is about. Um, because like, that's just part of being a fully formed, emotionally aware adult. Right. Um, but, uh, it also, I think is part of having a, a healthier relationship with alcohol. All right. So we're going to start to wrap up. 
final-ish question. What is one piece of advice that you want the readers of this article to take away and our listeners today? Hmm. Oh, man. Okay, let's see. I think that... um, well, sorry, this is gonna be a multi-pronged response, but like, first of all, if you are struggling with alcohol addiction, you can get through this. Um, and you may need professional help. And I think you should start exploring that. Um, and if you think you have a problem, it is worth spending time figuring that out. Um, and I promise you, you can get through it. Your life is going to be better without alcohol. If you have a true alcohol use disorder, I promise you, your life is better on the other side. So um, do what do what you need to do to start stepping towards that better future. Um, so that's one piece of advice for those of you who are like having you know, have a more casual relationship with alcohol, um, and you've never really thought about this before or whatnot. I think I would just you know con- consider trying something like Dry January, um, and you can you can literally do that any month of the year, like you know you don't have to wait until next january <laughs> like um if you didn't start in this january it's not too late um it's totally arbitrary so so i mean but trying something like that there was um you know one person in our story who had tried you know sober january or dry january and it had made a world of difference for them and they hadn't they they didn't really you know feel like they had a use to alcohol use disorder but they they noticed that their life was all around better uh without alcohol so trying something like that um for a short period of time and then i think you know this piece of it that like knowing that it's not bringing you any health benefits and knowing that for a lot of us, it is masking some sort of social, you know, uh, or emotional unrest um, and spending some time unpacking that. I think that will give you a lot of clarity around how alcohol fits into your life and like let you use alcohol in a way that is joyful, that is fun, that lets you celebrate and that like doesn't feel like it's controlling your life. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Behind the Sweat Podcast. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this one. And as we said at the beginning of this episode, if you need resources and you are looking to dive into your own alcohol consumption, there are many resources out there for you wherever you are and there is support if this is a if alcoholism is a problem in your life and as I said this was a conversation and I thought brunch running needed to be a part of especially as we are looking at our run club and as we are with our races promoting you know mornings mountains and mimosas with the trail run I think this is a very important conversation to continue and to continue to have and create space for us to continuously re-examine ourselves as a brand and also to see if we are part of a problem or if we can be a part of the change and where that all kind of comes around I mean you know obviously you can hear in my voice that this is not an easy conversation to have and I want everyone to know that as a brand brunch running is here for you wherever you are I'm not telling you not to drink I definitely know I enjoy a drink every now and then and that's definitely not 
the point and the mission and the conversation here that we're trying to say that you should not drink. We're just trying to have the conversation in general of looking at how we can continuously do better as a brand, but also as individuals. And we're all allowed to make our own choices in our life and we can all make the choices that we feel are best for ourselves and ourselves alone. And that's all you can do in life. It might be selfish to say and some people might think it's very selfish, but it's the, you know, the saying of how can you pour from a full cup into someone else if your cup isn't full or something like that. I totally botched that, but I think you know what I'm saying. So I think it's one of those things of, how do we make sure our own cups are full with whatever and that we can continuously be there for each other, be there for our community and continue to do better so that everything in this world and our lives are filled with joy and happiness and we're all living the lives that we want. So yeah, love to hear your feedback on this conversation with AC. Thank you so much for tuning in and another episode will drop on Monday next week. So have a good week. Bye.